Night Talk with Oliver Dixon. You're listening to Night Talk. My name is Oliver Dixon. Thank you so much for joining us. Really do appreciate it. Over the last couple of weeks, uh, or at, at, at least in total, uh, the city of Cape Town, over the over a, an extended period of time, have impounded more than a thousand minibus taxis in the city of Cape Town. These are minibus taxis currently in its depots. This has caused a, a, a spark of protests that have ultimately turned violent. Protests by taxi operators, taxi owners, uh, and of course negotiated uh, as an interlocutor there between the city and the taxi operators, taxi associations. This has caused many residents in the city of Cape Town to be stranded. It has brought, quite literally, the economy of the city of Cape Town to its knees for a couple of days uh, and have left many people stranded in unsafe uh, and, frankly, inhumane circumstances. But why? Why has the city of Cape Town embarked on what seems like an en masse impounding of minibus taxis in the city of Cape Town? Three reasons they cite, one being that, empowered by the National Land Transport Act, uh, any transgression uh, that is outside the, r- the rules of the law of the road empowers uh, security authorities and traffic authorities to impound vehicles. If a, dri- if a driver is driving unlicensed, they may impound his or her vehicle. And if a driver who works in the public transport industry is operating on the road as a public transport merchant without the permits to do so, uh, it is within the rights of the city or whatever the authority may be to impound such a vehicle. That's in the law. Those are the three reasons that the taxes have been impounded. Many have argued in response to that, that these impounding for minor road transgressions, such as skipping a red robot, driving on a yellow line, um, or even some say speeding, uh, ultimately is draconian, that fines are sufficient measures towards Uh, punishing such behavior. But the city of Cape Town seems to not think so. Why is that the case? J.P. Smith, the MMC of Safety and Security in the city of Cape Town, joins me. J.P. Smith, uh, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Why is it that the city of Cape Town thinks that fines are not sufficient in punishing uh, irregular driving behavior, that is to say driving behavior outside what is legally permitted, uh, as well as using it, that's to say impounding, as a means to try and enforce behavioural change. Why are fines not sufficient? Uh, Evening, Oliver, and thank you. Uh, I think, essentially, firstly, can I just uh, respond to one of your earliest uh, earlier points you made in summary? Uh, the vehicles that we impound are released by the owners very quickly, so they don't sit in our pounds for any protracted period of time those vehicles generally are released within hours. Sometimes the by the time the vehicle is driven to the pound, the owner is there waiting for it. Um, so the vehicles are, are rarely in the pound for very long. Um, there are some vehicles that are so profoundly unroadworthy that they cannot be released um, until the, the vehicle is repaired. Then secondly, uh, to your question, essentially, if you're a government and you have a particular road safety issue. In South Africa, 12,500 people lose their lives every year. And you have you have a certain enforcement process. You issue fines to people, and those do not work. They're not effective. Then to continue to do so year after year and see the same crises and not change anything about what you do is irresponsible. Then you're just doing it for uh, ticking a box sake and 
define income and you don't see any meaningful change. In fact, over time, the conditions deteriorate, the driving behavior worsens, the problems become more ubiquitous and everybody else complains more. The complaints escalate and you have horrific incidents like we had two months ago in Mitchell's Plain where five children were horribly uh, killed in a public transport vehicle, um, driven recklessly, and everybody shouted in unison that there is an expectation that we do better, that there must be some kind of effective remedy, and that not enough enforcement had taken place. So that is what this enforcement looks like. We haven't just started to do it now. Uh, we changed gear about two years ago. We still predominantly fine. The fines outweigh the impoundments about 50 to 1. So theoretically, in terms of the law, you could impound about 50 times more vehicles than we are doing, but the officers reserve the impoundments for only the most serious offenses. And those would be moving violations where the, the driving behavior represents a risk to the occupants of the vehicle, like going over a red light or driving on the shoulder of the road or driving inebriated um, and uh, not for petty things like parking on a yellow line or the others, those are still met with fines. So essentially, if you don't get behavior change with one part of the law, then you utilize a different part of the law because the goal here is meaningful change and different outcomes. Yeah. So reflecting on the impoundings that have been happening over the last, say, two weeks, what proportion of those have been as a result of road uh, infractions, such as driving over red traffic light, uh, driving on the side of the road or the shoulder of the road or a yellow line, which often are only reserved for emergency vehicles. Uh, what what percentage of those have been road traffic transgressions so severe that it puts the lives of motorists and passengers at risk? So remember, we impound still for the core aspects of the National Land Transportation Act, the uh, issue of being without an operating license or operating contrary to the conditions of the operating license, which is predominantly off-route. And you do that because if you don't, then uh, you have rogue or pirate taxis operating in areas where they're not meant to be. That leads to taxi violence. And again, the question, why wasn't the action taken earlier? The appropriate early or preemptive action there is um, preemptive or effective empowerment of people off-route. And just um, as a reminder, these enforcement actions are happening all over the country every day. Johannesburg yeah. impounds no, I'm, I'm, just I'm every single here. day. I'm asking you about Eastern proportions. Cape. Sorry, my apologies. No, no, no. Sorry, I'm, JP. I'm asking you about proportions. What proportions of the vehicles, uh, minibus taxis that have been pounded, can be attributed to road infractions, or, uh, vehicle, uh, driving infractions, can be attributed to licensing and permit issues, and can be attributed to unroadiness of a vehicle? So in the past, it would be about um, 80, 90% was for permitting. Now it is about two thirds for driving behavior. And because the of the nature of this debate, uh, the senior staff who deal with these impoundments and are responsible for them, went and dug through every single vehicle in the pound and looked for the reasons we impound it. And there is not one so-called, in quotes, petty or minor infraction among them. They're all for substantially problematic driving behavior. Uh, and I can say that with with uh, with reasonable confidence. Uh, maybe they missed one. There might be one mistake in, in, in the entire pound, but it's all for, um, 
for significantly problematic, yeah. irresponsible or reckless driving behavior. Yeah. Uh, so is it fair to say that still a significant amount of the impoundings that have been happening are related to permit and vehicle registration matters? In the past, yes. Now, not anymore. What, what proportion now would you say is related to that? About a third. Third to a quarter um, that varies from time to time. It's not always con- it's not always the same because the officers yeah. respond to what they find on the road when they find it. How, how long ago in the past would that be? Uh, over the last two years, we've been shifting gear um, significantly in this direction. We used to impound um, about a third of the vehicles we do. We've been pounding vehicles for 15 more years uh, that I can remember. Um, and the same again in Eastern Cape, KZN and Gauteng. Uh, and we see their stats from time to time. Uh, about two years ago, we decided that the fines were incredibly ineffective and slowly but surely, as our pound space permitted, started shifting increasingly towards the driver behavior issue in an attempt to amend the 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 conduct of the drivers through the intervention also of the owner because holding the driver accountable is only part of the solution and it's an ineffective solution uh, getting the owner to take responsibility for the conduct of the staff they employ to operate their moving businesses on four wheels is must be part of this the the answer yeah I'm asking this because uh, I'm trying to establish whether or not, as you've been criticized, if you're very specifically targeting uh, the taxi industry for arbitrary and punitive reasons outside of what could otherwise be resolved through other means, such as negotiating with the taxi industry to enforce behavioral changes when it comes to driving. Uh, and these, these now, that data we've sets, done to death, Oliver, and these, that's utterly hold on, ineffective. Hold on. These data sets then matter to, uh, towards establishing that. I asked it also on the back of, very specifically, your mayor having given you an instruction that for every vehicle that has been damaged or burned in the violent protests, that you should go out and impound 25 minibus taxis. Now, of course, that's not how we do law, and that's not how we enforce law, because it's very arbitrary. It means that you're targeting very specifically and not treating a case on its merits for its own sake, but rather to achieve a very specific political end goal. I want you to respond to that. Do you believe that you and the mayor erred on that ratio of one for every one vehicle will impound 25 taxis? Absolutely not. Um, so let's start at the beginning. Firstly, there's no political motive here. Um, there is a, a an outcome, a desired outcome of increased road safety. South Africa is appalling road safety, the, some of the worst in the world. And we to stand by idly is to be part of the problem. So we absolutely do not target the taxis disproportionately. All public transport vehicles are subject to the same regime within the NLTA. Um, and that includes the e-hailing vehicles, the meter taxis. And if you look at the tempo of impounding, you will see that per- percentage-wise, it has actually, we've been doing more impounding um, pro- proportionately to their number uh, of e-hailing vehicles and meter taxis than minibus taxis. So our focus has increasingly shifted towards them because during COVID, they became a much bigger part of the the, the public's um, uh, behavior change themselves, how they consume public transport, and they, their driving behavior is also deeply problematic. The issue of um, trying to establish consequences for the taxi owners is that there is a certain calculus going on 
when the taxi industry resorts to violence to try and force an outcome. Um, despite the fact I mean, everybody has the right to withhold their labor in an economy, um, it's enshrined in our, in our law, but you do not have the right uh, along with that to engage in violence, arson, murder, or any other criminal offense. Uh, and somehow this becomes an irrelevance in this entire conversation. It is absolutely not an irrelevance for everybody who's affected by it. So when a, an industry makes a calculated decision to, to drive such conflict, um, then the responsibility of us is to create environments and incentives that reduces it. And the issue of, of saying to the taxi industry, at the moment, we impound very few vehicles relative to the number of fines we issued, about a one to 50 ratio. That is uh, because we are choosing to do so. In law, every traffic infringement could be impoundable. We are going, we're telling you that if you continue to perpetrate violence against the property of others and hurt others, we will also step up those impoundments so that the cost thereof also becomes a factor in your consideration about how long you provide, you, you sustain violent action. Strike if you must, it is your prerogative, it is your, your yeah, right so to withhold those services, but you cannot force bus industries and others to also not run through violence and arson. That is never acceptable. And everybody who doesn't speak out loudly about that is vindicating or justifying that kind of behavior. Uh, th th that validates the old adage, uh, fire begets fire, right? Uh, and th that seems exactly the strategic approach that the city of Cape Town has taken, instead of focusing rather on de-escalating what has ultimately become a violent situation. One would assume that lawmakers and enf law enforcers like yourself would focus rather on the de-escalation of violent and tense situations for the protection and benefit of of citizens, motorists, as well as as, as, as as passengers. Why was that not your approach? Why was de-escalation not the primary objective, especially at the height of the violent protests? It was our exclusive approach for very long and has been. And in fact, in the past, we have probably capitulated too often to the extent that the taxi now, the industry now believes that violence is a, a viable and, and likely to be successful uh, strategy. Uh, we have in the past always settled in favor of trying to meet the industry's demands, even when they're uh, mostly unreasonable. Uh, when the last round of protests, and remember these recur with six to 12 months frequency in many parts of the country, uh, when the last round of protest happened, it was settled precisely through compromise and de-escalation through the establishment of the taxi task team that met four times in six months. I was at three of those meetings. We discussed legislation. We discussed many issues. Quite a few of the matters that are now being held forward as demands were never raised by the industry in any of those meetings. They're new. In many of those meetings, they acknowledge that there must be impoundments, that it is necessary, and that the driver's behavior is appalling. So all we have tried to do is to de-escalate. We did not walk away from the negotiations. The Santaco canceled their participation in the meeting on, on last Monday uh, on, on short notice, and then introduced a strike halfway through Thursday, leaving commuters stranding. Our, every action has been aimed at getting them back to a solution, getting the, the matter resolved. But we have also been met with 
moving goalposts and changing demands uh, continuously. Today's demands are again uh, a moving of the goalpost uh, in terms of a moratorium on impoundments altogether. And, and also asking for things that are not legally possible. That's not within our power to, uh, to do. We cannot Such waive as? the National Traffic Act. What are the demands, the demands that's outside of your statutory powers that they are making? Any aspect of the National Road Traffic Act that has to be ignored or waived, it's not possible. Very it's not possible for us to permit yellow line driving or the ignoring of traffic signals. These were conversations that came up last week. Uh, the uh, a, a desire to be exempted from the application of traffic signals, stop streets, uh, driving, yellow line driving, um, and, and other offenses. They want to say, if a driver is drunk, your problem is with the drunk driver, not us. If a driver is outstanding warrants, your problem is with the outstanding warrants, not us. And in many of those cases, we're saying, yes, that is true, and we will take action against the driver. But you as an owner of the vehicle have an obligation not to put a drunk driver in a vehicle and not to hand the keys over to a person with 50 outstanding warrants because that person's not a fit and proper person to drive a vehicle based on track record. And they're not fines. Fines are still contestable. Warrants are not contestable. So there are things being demanded that everybody who's part of the conversation on government side is saying, sorry, that's not something we can consent to. Yeah. And, and another question that, that uh, the city faces now is the question around a potential perverse incentive existing on part of the city to embark on an en masse impounding uh, a campaign, very specifically as a fundraising mechanism for the city, right? It's not cheap to release a, a, an impounded vehicle from an impounding depot. It's at minimum 6,000 rand for, at the lowest end, and could go insanely high as up to 15,000, 20,000 rand, as you well may know. Uh, the question then is, given that the city has been able to make millions in terms of uh, revenue uh, from, from impoundings. Many argue that that is the true incentive for why the citizen embarked on this uh, uh, mass impounding campaign. No, um, we have never been interested in, in revenue. If you look at the city's revenue from fines, for instance, you will see that we do substantially less than most other cities. And that's because we don't cash cow. We don't um, do speeding fines and other enforcement where there are uh, uh, targets that are likely to pay. We very significantly push the speed enforcement, for instance, to the places where the road accidents are the highest. And that, in many cases, is not areas from which you generate meaningful fine revenue. So revenue is never a target for us. We are very clear in our heads about this. Even the manner in which we do the enforcement allows for no concealment of the officers. It's there as a, as a preventative action. And it's there to achieve... Uh, uh, positive behavior change. Uh, in other words, if you issue a fine, the goal is to make sure that that fine uh, is, is paid and not to rather get a lot of fines, but rather to effectively change behavior. So with the taxis, the same, the amount of income we make from this as a city as a whole is absolutely negligible. It's a tiny proportion of our 70 billion rand budget, a negligible amount, and an amount that during COVID and otherwise shrank, uh, it's totally, it is completely not the, the goal for for what we pursue. I'm little interested. None of the money comes back to, for instance, the safety and security or the traffic department goes into the general city budget. Um, and my goal and the thing by which I am measured is are there more deaths or fewer deaths on the road? And, and, and can we create behavior change in the key uh, uh, driving patterns and, and uh, risk assessment areas 
uh, in driving behavior which generate those deaths. What sort of empirical data uh, en- encourages uh, the policy direction that you guys are taking? Uh, that is to say, the, the idea that impounding will enforce behavioral change amongst drivers. Because fines for a very long time have proven to be completely ineffective. You don't have many mechanisms in law. We do negotiate endlessly. We have offered the taxi industry additional and the public transport industry more broadly uh, additional training. Uh, we've offered, uh, because we find a lot of, for instance, the Avanzo Amapela drivers with our driver's licenses, we've offered them additional dates uh, for to make driver appointments and to set like a Saturday or Sunday aside at a specific center for them to bring their drivers in so we can help them get driver's licenses and move them in that direction. Uh, we have suggested that the industry create an academy uh, so that the public driving permit is um, not uh, such a rubber stamp, but is a substantive uh, process that teaches and trains people on effective driving skill, basic first aid, and other things that are relevant to operating a public transport vehicle. Uh, so we've taken a great deal of effort and energy with campaigns like the Blue Dot campaign and others, provincial and local government in this case, spent enormous energy. Those you will have to discuss with the transport departments. That's their subject matter in which they have expertise and lies slightly out of mind. But the behavior change that we have to to, do, the fines don't work. I didn't interrupt um, you earlier. The fines don't work. Then the you have to do something else. You can't just stand by and say, well, this ineffective thing I'm doing is ineffectual. Then you look at the law and you say, well, what does the law permit? Oh, look, the law does permit for us to try and ensure that the owners start taking responsibility for this rather than just being uh, appointing inconsiderate drivers. And when the driver accrues too many fines, replacing their driver because the financial bottom line is the goal there. Yeah. To that, JP, do you at least appreciate the constraints and sensitivities that the taxi industry operates under, specifically from an operator-driver perspective as well as an operator-owner perspective? That is to say that the taxi industry, uh, given how insanely thin those margins are, often try to accumulate as many loads per day as possible. And that is what encourages a lot of the speeding that you see, a lot of the driving on the, on the shoulder of the road uh, to subvert traffic, uh, to, to taking shortcuts. That is what encourages that. And unless you address that particular problem, which I appreciate is not something you specifically can do in the city of Cape Town. It's a national problem. It's a problem about the structure of the economy. But unless you address that, you're not really changing the root cause of some of the behavioral problems that you've outlined. Oscar, I can't tell you how many times we've raised that with uh, national government, with provincial government and with the industry itself. I mean, there is a, in my mind, a violation of the employment rights and the labor rights of, of taxi drivers. In my mind, the number of hours they work for the same employer uh, does not permit for them to be a, an independent contractor. They are staff members and need to be treated as staff members with all the basic conditions of employment rights. We have raised this many times and we have pointed out repeatedly that it creates the very perverse incentive of reckless driving and the hell run, as we call it in the morning, when taxis race at insane speeds along the freeway, occasionally clipping another vehicle and rolling, um, injuring or killing passengers because there is a desperate um, desire to get to the rank, drop passengers, then race back at breakneck speed along the freeway and um, and side roads, 
uh, and to try and get another load. If there was not a commission basis as the as the basis of this, that dynamic would be different. So the industry is has in part created uh, some of this problem. And this is something we have talked about many, many times, so many times that eventually you despair that the industry actually uh, will do or cares about doing anything about it or any of the regulatory bodies. And then as an enforcer, while everybody else, and you will have to have this conversation with some of the regulators, because remember, I'm not a regulator here. I am the enforcer of other people's laws. Then as an enforcer, you use all the different enforcement tools available to you. There are other people, Minister Chikunga, who seems not to be very clear on what her laws do. Um, and the provincial minister, the MACO member, those are the people who establish the, the, the rules and the, the, um, the format and protocols of regulation. The enforcement services, they apply those. Yeah, but, but, but I'm asking, do, do you appreciate that, unless that part, the incentive structure for what uh, uh, encourages that sort of driving changes, you're not going to change behavior through fines or impoundings? Well, you can apply that to many other parts. You can say there are many other industries where all kinds of shortcuts are, are possible in order to short-circuit processes, but that taking those shortcuts in food manufacture, where health conditions make it more difficult, in many other areas, there are industries also on thin margins and also struggling in the economy that could equally take shortcuts that harm people and cause chaos. And there, the enforcement energy is the same. There is the same attempts in environmental health to 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 address and to regulate uh, people who do not comply with basic food production or health standards um, in places where food is sold. And I can give you many other similar examples. But the the bottom line is, when laws are written, there are democratic processes for changing those laws. None of those involve murder, arson, uh, violence burning opposition um, transport vehicles in order to further your economy and disrupt innocent commuters' ability to get to work and school. None of those things are legal, legitimate, moral, or proper. And we shouldn't keep on um, justifying, even if tacitly, any of those. Night Talk, giving you depth and texture to the conversations that matter. Monday to Thursdays, 10 p.m.